Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today, our guest, a friend of Trina Altman's, Catherine Cowie. Catherine, thank you very much for coming on. We'll turn it over to you to give a little background on yourself, please. Yeah. So, like you said, name is Catherine Cowie. I have been training for 25 plus years, probably now. I've been doing this a while. Started out sort of in the ATC realm, working with athletes, but I was always doing personal training, you know, making money through school. And I just found I always really liked doing the personal training and found I had a lot of influence on people and you could, you know, stay with them. PT, physical therapy, ATC kind of, you didn't have much time with people. And so I really started liking through personal training. You could really have an impact on somebody. And then the last like five to 10 years or so started looking at this idea of hypermobility, realized, huh, that's the reason everybody, when I'm in seminars is going, what are you doing with that? So always found I had much more range than everybody else. So then started delving into hypermobility, looking at all the research, finding out about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is one of the extreme forms of hypermobility, and then realized that not many people are being helped with this. There is not much, well, one, there's not much clinical research, and then there's just not much past physical therapy of what these people need to do. So all the people I see are just at a loss. They They just don't know what to do. And it's compounded by so many of the symptoms. We can talk about all the stuff that goes along with hypermobility. It's super, super complex. So they just, they come to me pretty like, (laughs) they're pretty done, pretty helpless. So, and just not much resource. There's not much information out there. So that's why I just, I'll do any of these podcasts. I'm like, any way I can get out the information. I want to help people and help get the right information and good information. Is there a a higher occurrence of hypermobility than maybe we think think there is? I think so. I was just talking to someone the other day saying a lot of the people that were probably diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue... I think a lot of those people 15, 20 years ago, I think a lot of them actually were probably most likely EDS folks. So the, in the literature, it's 15 to 20% of people who have some form of hypermobility. Okay. Maybe about 4 to 5% of people who actually have that would be diagnosed with EDS. A lot of people don't go through the diagnostic process because it, it can be a little time consuming. But I did, I just had one person I have new who for her, it wasn't, he just went through the stuff and said, yes, you probably have EDS. So, but helping them after that can take rheumatologists, cardiologists, orthopedic, you know, it's a lot of different doctors, different clinicians. What are some long-term, maybe detrimental things that can occur if you're out of hypermobility? Well, it is a long-term lifelong Mm -hmm. thing that people will be dealing with. Again, there's a dearth of research on these people and on this question, I'm finding just in my own clinical practice, people can be high functioning 20, you know, in their 20s and their 30s, they can be pretty good. I've personally just, again, it's my bias. This is what I'm seeing right now. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of 40 and 50 year olds who are not doing great in their fourth and fifth decades. Pain is getting worse. They're more symptomatic if they have dysautonomic stuff and or blood pressure issues like that can be more symptomatic and, and give them more issues, but it's a lifelong of multi-symptom and multi-system, many, many systems being affected. So we're looking at more than just the joint here then. So I can give like a very brief synopsis on mm-hmm. what 
you have, again, this whole, it's called hypermobility spectrum disorders. Like someone asked the definition on a podcast one time and I was like, oh, it's so hard. Like, <laughs> I was about it the other day. And I was thinking, okay, there's this group of people that have a greater than average amount of range of motion in their joints. Yes? Yes. Okay. There is that group of people. That's maybe like this, like that 20%. Then there can be most of them, 10% or so, can be completely fine. They can be doing contortionists till they're 90 years old and they're like, woohoo, I'm great. Sort mm-hmm. to Soleil forever. So, <laughs> and they're super high functioning. They're fine. Then we've got little, then you have the folks that are really low functioning and they're very, very symptomatic. They're definitely most likely diagnosed with EDS and they have a lot, a lot of issues. I'll talk about that in a second. But then there are people kind of in the middle who maybe like a lot of the clients that I have were pretty high functioning. They found that, well, yeah, I'm all sort of Gumby, but I also have, I deal with before they might not have, they didn't associate it with hypermobility. There's fatigue that can be IBS issues. There's heart issues, blood pressure issues, sleep issues, sleep apnea, mitral valve prolapse. If I hadn't said that already, Um, (laughs) there's a slew because if there is a collagenous EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, mm-hmm. is termed as a collagenous disorder. Okay. I think for some people who might not be, you know, diagnosed specifically with EDS, they might still have some collagenous stuff going on. And collagen is everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. In our guts, yep. it's in our heart, it's in our vascular system, it's in our blood vessels. So our blood vessels they stretch out. They might not snap back. So our blood pressure. Doesn't it pressure because we don't have that squeeze back and push the blood back? So they have a lot of them have POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, basically lightheadedness. They go from lying down to standing Uh and go right. So that a lot of them are diagnosed with POTS as well. So that's sort of the very brief synopsis of kind of what people can experience. But I always like to tell people like we shouldn't pathologize all people who are Gumby. They might just yeah. be fine. Yeah. Just, because there's so many different factors with flexibility of why we have flexibility. It might be just that randomly my ligaments and that shoulder go, you know, are really stretched out and my bone allows me to go that way. So that it could have nothing to do technically with collagen. It's just like, oh, that's just the way my shoulders do. And there's no thing systemically have they have issues with because strength training with hypermobility is something that i think the average trainer doesn't know what steps or procedures or precautions they should take yeah so the way i've had a lot of new people recently i've got like three or four new people and kind of the steps i've started to basically give them steps the one thing i want to say caveat before this is pain is a huge fatigue and pain are actually the two biggest symptoms with this population. You first have to address and educate on pain when you're dealing with hypermobility. Because most likely, again, there's those high functioning, but most of them that I deal with, again, I have my bias, I deal with folks who have a lot of pain. So I have to first work a lot with pain and pain, obviously it's a biopsychosocial model, right? What's going on in their life? What's, you know, what's going on in their psychology? What the the biology, psychology, and social stuff of what's going on in their life will affect whether they're in pain or not. So sometimes they'll go, yeah, it's my hip. It's my hip. I'm like, 
well, is there also, did you just lose your dog, you know, lose your job, did your dog die? And, you know, is your mother driving you crazy, right? Like if you have those things coming into the body, there's nothing different in the body. It's just, you have less tolerance for whatever is going on. Right. Mm -hmm. So then, so I have to describe to them that. So then you have to get over them being in pain in order to strength train. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. Right. So deal with the pain first and, 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 or, you know, it's not going to go away, but they have to manage any pain stuff that they have. So then with the strength stuff, very, very slowly going into stuff, I will maybe give people like three exercises like, mm. and I'll be like, do this twice a week, like very, very low, low volume, uh, low intensity, and just super, just slowly introduce it. Right. Again, mm -hmm. depending on their background, right. If, Mm -hmm. They're like strength trainers before, you know, you can be a little bit more <laughs> gung ho with it. But if I have someone who's been doing Pilates for 20 years and hasn't looked at a weight in, you know, 30, I'm like, okay, we're going to go slow about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, isometrics are huge, 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 yes. right? We all know, right? All the mm -hmm. tendon, Jill Cook stuff, Ebony Rio, all of their research, huge, huge in terms of bolstering up the joint, the ligaments, all that good stuff. So like the other day, had someone like kind of going into a slight squat. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> so my knee is niggling a little bit. It's talking to me. And, you know, I was just like, okay, fine. Like, we're going to go to the wall. So supported her mm -hmm. against something. Okay. Put a knee between her legs. Like gave her tons of references. Just go against the wall, push against here, hold that position for 30 seconds. Right. Mm -hmm. Do that twice. Maybe I can go back to the squat. Maybe it feels fine now. Like mm -hmm. it can be pretty, it can be instantaneous. You can get pain mm -hmm. relief and have an analgesic effect from just that one bout of isometrics. Mm -hmm. So that's like kind of in practice, like during a session, how I would do strength training. It's hugely, strength training, hugely important. I think one thing that definitely needs to be understood with most of my hypermobiles is decreasing again, that volume, not like they're like three times a week and I'm just, oh, I'm just done. I'm tired. And they can't get anywhere because they can't get the intensity for the times that they're doing the strength training. So I'll, I like twice a week, maybe 20 minute, 30 minute session. You can get a lot of bang for your buck in just that amount and they can get, they'll get stronger. But lots of clients, they, you know, you just, you just go slower about it, less intensity, a four week plan program that you would maybe do for a normal person. you might be on a six week program because it'll mm -hmm. take six weeks for that body to maybe figure out stuff for their body to accustom to it. And they might have like, Oh, one of those weeks they were in pain and they couldn't do much. Or, you know, I mean, it's just, it's constantly kind of, you know, they're going up, but there's a lot of blips in the, in the going up. Long duration isometrics is such a, a, a huge benefit. Uh, uh, we think it's really vastly overlooked by the majority of the fitness industry, uh, as far as the benefits of what it can do for people. Yeah. Depends on who you're right. Who you look at. Right. I, I mean, right, like yeah. in this world, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be smart people. There's other stuff I don't look at, but I, I recognize I'm like, when I look out outside those people, I'm like, Oh God, no, no one's doing, Oh, no one knows about all this stuff. You know? So it's like Cal Dietz and all the, you know, the, yeah. the how he, you know, with the isometrics, um, and all the, the sprint, sprint guys and strength guys and stuff. Yeah. They're all doing these. And with the, like, right, there's the long duration. It's that like three minute, five minute ISO 
for this population, again, that I use more of the tendon research that Ebony mm-hmm. Rios, so that's like a 45 second to 60 second, mm-hmm. three bouts. I think that's what it is in Cook's research, in both of those guys' research, that you're getting the analgesic effect. So I'm going more for the analgesic effect. So that's what I use. I'm not going for like performance of, you know, <laughs> sprint performance and deeds well, of medicine or Michigan or whatever. I still technically call even a 30 second or 40 second isometric long duration because you're quiet because to the client it seems like forever (laughs) they're like oh my god you're like what what is going on you're like okay so that's the only reason why i still call it long duration because my clients think it's hell so for the client 30 seconds is like what but yeah Uh, Dr. Keith Barr was yeah. saying that the, the yeah. difference between the 30 and 45 seconds and the two minutes isn't that significant, that yeah. you can get a huge benefit from just doing that 30 to 45 yeah. second. Yeah, exactly. I think Joel, uh, you know, Joel Smith had, had him on a podcast and yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. He's, yeah. He's got some fantastic information, but yeah, uh, yeah, I know Keith Barr has done a lot of good stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, cause I think hypermobile people need to understand the importance of training the collagen and training the connective tissue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You, I mean, we have to use any trick in the book to try to bolster that collagen because genetically, for those people who have a collagenous issue, genetically that collagen, we're not like, uh, I don't have a, you know, a crisper to make their cheese. <laughs> 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 right. right. Yeah. If I could do that, I don't know, maybe they will be able to do that, you know, in five years, but so far, I don't have that for my clients. So I contacted Keith Barr one time because I was interested in, he never got back to me, but <laughs> but I wanted to see that research that he did of giving people like what, an hour before the bout. Have you seen that one? It was an hour before the bout. He gave them a collagen shot, basically, okay. um, like a jello shot of, the, of just straight collagen. It was an hour before a bout of maybe 30 seconds of, of jumping rope or something. And that literally like the tendon sucked up the collagen that you had just drank, right? Mm. That research I thought was pretty amazing. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Would that still help a hypermobile? But I, I couldn't get an answer. <laughs> mm. Oh, interesting. No, but it's an interesting idea, right? Yeah. Well, because as rock climbers, as climbers were, you know, especially with Neil, he's looking at listening to reading articles and listening about how to strengthen the connective tissue because of it is so crucial in the sport of climbing, but that yeah. carryover to everything else is, is right there also. Yes. Yeah, for sure. The nutrition part, right. Cause that's not my, mm-hmm. that's not my area of expertise. I've always kind of wanted to find somebody who there is probably nutritional aspects that could help you that could possibly help bolster the collagen. But again, my question was always like, if, if there's a deficit in the genetic makeup of the, of the basically building, the forming the collagen, then how much is that helping? That's where my question was, which I, I still don't have an answer to that. <laughs> is there usually some type of mental barrier that clients have in regards to strength training that you have to overcome? Yes, there can be because many, so a lot, again, I, this is just my clients mm-hmm. and, yep. and people I've talked to. Uh, many of my clients either went to trainers who didn't know what they were doing, uh, and so they've been injured a lot, and they do have huge history of injury. I have my, I have people who've had five injuries. They, their thumbs dislocate when they look at them wrong. Right? What I've had, <laughs> like, there's really hypermobile where you, you just, you have to, you have to modify all the time. So they can be scared. Like, there's that kinesiophobia that they can mm-hmm. be scared of doing anything. 
I have sort of the benefit of going, no, I'm one of you. I want to use zebras. Like, you know, um, and so they sort of impart, so they'll be like, okay, I trust you. Okay. And then because of the way that I go super slow and a lot of my stuff is breathing initially because I got to bring down their sympathetic nervous system mm. and then breathing, right. The PRI, you guys are familiar with yep. the posture. Yeah. So a lot of my stuff is informed by them as well and position and using we're bags of air and liquid basically. <laughs> so we use those bags of liquid and air to push around to get a joint to get in the right position. And when I use those tactics, they're like, oh, oh, it feels better. And I haven't even done the start of the strength training yet, right? <laughs> All I've mm-hmm. breathe in just different positions. And so I can get them out of that pain and just that relief. Then I can be like, okay, so I just want you to maybe try this. Okay. How's that feel? Oh, it's okay. 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 Great. Great. Let's do something else. Right. And so it's just slowly, right. Bringing them. I've had someone who she, even with the breathing, right. She had had a history of panic attack history of like being freaked out by breathing. And because I sort of like got it in here and there and just had her start breathing a little bit at times and sort of weaving it in, but not jumping right into it and going, okay, exhale (laughs) completely. Hold it up. Right. I, carefully, slowly brought it in. And so then she was able to get the breathing practice as well. Yeah, it can be a lot of, because they have a panic anxiety disorder as well, because uh, that sympathetic nervous system is so ramped up. Yeah, and it's, it's important to get people out of that. So yeah, it's a great point there. Yeah, it's, it's that low-hanging fruit. I got to deal with the low-hanging fruit before I can before you can attack strength training. Like I can't get anywhere if I can't. <laughs> if one, you can't get them out of pain, fear, all that stuff. I think that's one thing I wish I would have been taught more of when I first got into the industry is the importance of getting people to fix this much mm-hmm. before all of this. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard because, right, we have scope of practice, right? And so I, you know, and a lot of times I'll just mention it and I'll say, I don't know if you've heard of something called an ACE score. She's actually local. The woman who looked at this, she looked at a lot of it in Bayside because you guys are in San Jose, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So she, she's a doctor in working with a lot of people in Bayside. And so it's adverse childhood experiences. So it's called this ACE score. It's Nadine Burke. It's their name. The book is called The Deepest Well. If you have people who have any, like they, if they already have EDS, Many of them also have trauma history as well. And you know, yeah. how much trauma is manifested and somaticized in the body. And so that you have to, I will just mention it and say, are you in psychotherapy? They might want to look at that, but, right? So that then they can go out, they can go take care of that on that level. And then I know that's being addressed. So they can address that. Most of my people are already probably on an anti-anxiety, probably already done therapy. There's a lot of, because especially Bay Area, everyone's got a therapist. <laughs> but we're, you know, they're, they're pretty well-versed in that. But if they aren't, if they don't happen to be someone who is, then I will definitely say, like, you might want to take care of that trauma stuff and that gut history because it is, it lives in our body. And then it also lives in the brain in that amygdala. So that whole cascade, they, they can change their brain to not, being sensing pain all the time because living in that trauma realm increases or decreases tolerance to pain, right? It increases that pathway to always a message of being sent of fear and pain and all that stuff. So we've heard of some basic joint tests, you know, like if you can touch your thumb to your wrist, if you can, if, you know, when you extend your arm, it it goes the other way, same thing, extending your knee. Is that too simplistic of a 
of a test to say that someone has hypermobility? Right. That, so I always, I always cover the Baton score because everybody talks about it. When you have any, any article will bring up the Baton score, which that's mm-hmm. what it is. Five points. It's a total of nine points. Yeah. One, two, three, four, right. The knees five, six, right. So, and then the toe touch. So the Baton score, all I say is it's a piece of information. It kind of gives you, you're like, you might go, huh? Okay. You can do all those things. And the di- the full diagnostic criteria, they uh, revamped it in 2017. There's definitely more, it's a more um, thorough diagnosis. And so it'll cover, I mean, there's questions like, did you used to do like crazy things when you like do crazy stuff with your body, right? When you were a kid, that's literally one of the questions <laughs> the diagnosis. But there, and then there's mitral prolapse. Did you have a, uh, a primary parents who has it, right? So those are diagnosed with EDS. This type of stuff, it just shows you, okay, you got some lax joints. But again, it's only looking at those joints, mm-hmm. looking at your hand, your pinky, your elbow, your knees, and your foldover. They could have, it could be their shoulders and their back and their ankles that are super loose. So it wouldn't have caught. You know, you could do the whole thing and you'd be like, oh, you're fine. But they have three or four other different things yeah. that are loose. So it's a piece of information, but as a trainer, you can you can then ask other things of, right, there's, if you do have, if they're fatigued all the time, if they have anxiety, if they have pain all the time, those are the other things that are big. That would probably show that they're more likely more of an EDS, a little bit of a more uh, symptomatic EDS hypermobility. But it's a piece of information. It's part of the diagnostic criteria still. Yeah. Okay. If I'm a novice, let's say I'm a personal trainer. I've been in the industry five, six years Let's say if I have a client that I feel is is hypermobile, what are some basic, two or three basic things that I need to always remember with these clients? So maybe maybe not a symptomatic person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, in in essence, I would almost say with with both of them, even if you have an asymptomatic person, they still have all of this range. Mm-hmm. So especially with the asymptomatic, if they're going in that range really, really want to make sure that they are strengthening that range, mm-hmm. okay. right? Especially like I have a few friends who work with a lot of circus and acrobat and ballet, like any of those guys, they have really high functioning folks. So their slant on it is very different than mine. Okay. Um, and they are, they're like, okay, I need to, woo, go. you know, I mean, the circus folks, woo, they're having extreme, extreme range. The guy, the woman, Jen Crane, do you guys know her? Oh, no, 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 no. She works with Cirque du Soleil folks. Uh, it's Cirque, it's Cirque Physio or something. It's her, it's her handle on Instagram. Okay. Um, so she works with mostly circus folks and she does. She just talks about strengthening that end range. You got to strengthen that end range. I'm still biased. I still think like, will a lot of those 25, 30, 35 folks, year old folks, right. what are they going to be at 40 and 50? Mm-hmm. I have a feeling it's yeah, 50% of those guys that don't know how they're going to be feeling when they're in their forties and fifties. That's just my opinion. Again, mm-hmm. people will be like, I'm going to be fine. Maybe they will. I don't know. We don't know the research, yeah. like, mm-hmm. but in terms of getting back to your question of it, again, I think it's just this isometrics, right? Do it using isometrics because they bolster the collagen so much. I think that's across the board mm-hmm. doing that again and range because they have it. People who are very, very symptomatic, I actually don't so much go into end range because they just, especially if you're not the ballerina, if you don't want to keep hold on to your splits, 
it's just better to just stay in the, in the mid ranges yeah. um, because a lot of the people that I'm dealing with right now, they have so much sort of instability in like, they'll feel my hip went out, my spine went out, my bit like in, in right. In normal people, like our SI joint doesn't go out and moves what two millimeters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so in these guys, it might move more, but it does. It feels, I mean, you feel it as a, like you feel a slide, you feel a lock. You feel, I mean, you, it's, it does feel like something just went, like it's pretty, it's kind of profound when it happens in your body. So it does, I know how they feel probably not moving that much, who knows, but yeah, they just, they have to bolster, bolster, bolster as much as they can using references all the time. Personally for myself, sometimes if I'm doing squats and I'm just not feeling it that day, or maybe feeling a little more squirrely, I'll just squat to a bench. I'll maybe put some, a tubing around my knee or put a ball in between my knee. I just, just like, okay, just keep myself there, <laughs> but I can still get the work in, mm-hmm. get the work on the muscle and are using, you know, no one has the machines, you know, I mean, gyms have the machines, but can't go to gyms anymore. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but you know, one of my clients is like, should I just go to the gym and go on some of the, you know, leg extension and hamstring curl? I'm like, you know what? I mean, for straight hypertrophy, putting just some just muscle and force on the tendons and ligaments, have at it. It keeps them in a one position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. May as well just, you know, strengthen, right? We all went into like functional and this and that, but there's a time and place for old school bodybuilding Schwarzenegger stuff, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's very true. What about joint centration? I mean, is there, especially like a, for people that hyperextend at the knees or the elbows all the time? That's that same, same idea of, right? Like if you're doing circus, go to that end range and strengthen that end range that you have. Yeah. It's totally beyond, right? Like I, this yoga teacher training that I, that I taught, uh, teach sometimes part portion about hypermobility, you know, we talk about co-contraction, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, you know, if you're here, you can maybe get a bicep and a tricep, but like just straight physics, I cannot get as good control of a joint when I'm going, when I'm hyperextending. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. just physics. Like mm-hmm. they can't, they can't argue that any which way. Yeah. That's physics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so fine. You're doing these crazy, you know, circus st- tricks, but you have more control of a joint when it's just going to where it's supposed to go, right? It's harder for us to, to, cause we can't feel like exactly where that is sometimes. So I'm like, you have to look at, look at it or give yourself literally a physical barrier of where it needs to go. Like mm-hmm. put some barrier that that arm is only going to go to that certain range to keep them because sometimes they won't feel it mostly more in the knees than the, elbows but yeah have you ever used any kinesio tape or or rock tape to give that extra feedback so yeah the k-tape stuff for for just feeling right and the k-tape it's too it's too flexy itself right so it all actually doesn't sometimes give you the feedback like i remember at one point i i was just playing around and i was just masking tape (laughs) oh okay because it literally gave yeah. you an immediate, like, okay, uh, yeah, uh-huh. ah. you could tell exactly where you were. Because K-Tape in general, I did a podcast on K-Tape. Um, I don't know whether you guys like K-Tape or not, but <laughs> their research isn't quite there. 
Um, and if you find the popularity of K-Tape came out in the year 2000, like he was using it before 2000, but in 2000, it was accepted by PT insurance. So physical therapy insurance would pay for the, you know, administration of K-Tape. And it went bonkers after it was, huh, gee, accepted by insurance companies. So now physical therapists, of course, is like, Shut up. yeah, give me another 50 bucks for putting this stuff on them. And so then they started using it a lot more. So its popularity increased like at the same time. Oh, because of the monetary yeah. relationship. Oh, quite interesting. Yeah. So year 2000. Yeah, sometimes you got to look, you got to follow the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's always a thing, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's usually always a huge factor. I mean, maybe the research has changed since I last looked at it. I'm always, I'm always open to, you know, someone can come back and be like, yeah, no, I totally found. Like if it, if somebody likes it and they like find it helps them mentally or something, but, and sometimes it can give you, if you put a ton of it on, it can maybe give someone a feel of their joints. Like one of my clients, she did, she felt like I just put it on any which way. I was like, just let's tape all every day. <laughs> and she, she just, she just felt her knee better. She, she's in for a knee replacement. So she, you know, 65 years old. But it was just literally to give her psychological, like, oh, I feel my knee. Because we often don't feel, right, our proprioception, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's lacking a lot of the time um, for a lot of different reasons. But also, the research is still out there on why the reasons. Some of it actually might be the, the interface of the collagen with the nerve fibers might not be great. It also can just be a delay in signaling to all different theories on why we have a lack of proprioception. So you were talking about blood pressure earlier, and, and I never thought about hypermobility yeah. affecting the cardiovascular system at all. How would you, I guess, go about training that aspect? So the bolstering of that is it's really, you know, you do it by diet. It's obviously keeping fluids and lots of salt, salt intake um, up. There's things called um, liquid IV, I think is oh. one of the things. The mm -hmm. new tablets, all, there's a bunch of different things that they can just take orally to keep up their blood volume, literally plasma uh -huh. volumes, right? Which will help blood keep blood pressure up a little bit more. Beyond that, there's fludocortisone and midradine, midradine, however you want to say it. Um, those are going to be uh, gotten by a physician, right? Those are prescriptions. You can do stuff like the uh, restrictive blood training. Have you guys yeah. done it? Yeah, um, BFR. Yeah. BFR. Okay. yeah. So that was fairly intriguing. The research on that is fairly intriguing. I did it for like a month, just trying it. I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this. Or like, I didn't see that much of a difference. Okay. You didn't know. Okay. Yeah. But I only did it a month. I mean, it'd be interesting if I, if I tried it a little bit more and I don't know that I did it, but that I did it enough. Right. Um, I was maybe doing it once a week. I didn't do it like the every session. Maybe it, it, I, I should try. I mean, I have the cuffs. I don't have like the whatever company has like the ones that you oh, can like, oh, yeah. right? yes. like, <laughs> <laughs> so that is an idea that, you know, people can use them, but again, for normal folks, like that they'll do that. It's not super comfortable, but actually for that, that population, right. You're able to do very low intensity, but still getting the hyper, hyper hypertrophic effects mm -hmm. just because the metabolics that happens, right. The Venus. And then also in terms of blood pressure, it might bolster the effect of the, the ability for your veins and arteries to work a little better. But yeah. It's just literally that the, the, the vessels just open up too much and that we don't have the ability to constrict. So 
the blood just doesn't go back to the head enough. I mostly for myself and clients, I find it's just the deadlift that really gets yeah, me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. It's that constriction, constriction while you're doing it. And then, and so the, all the blood just goes. And so you just, I just have for myself, I just, you just put your head, your head between your knees and you're fine. Like you just, you know, it's easy to ameliorate. So, and it doesn't, it, the main ways that it affects, it gives a lot of people brain fog and fatigue issues. So those are the, the two okay. things in terms of lifestyle can be kind of a bummer. So, yeah. But as far as a cardio on cardiovascular intensity, is that something that you can really ratchet up on somebody that's hypermobile or should you be pretty cautious about that? No, it's because it's more when it's more with it's really again it's pots so it's postural. Okay. If you have someone who has pots, they will say they'll be like swimming is better, recumbent bike is better because right. Yes. That's why most hypermobiles we actually sit like this. Mm-hmm. Like okay. if we're on a chair, we'll bring our legs up like this because it's easier to regulate our blood pressure oh. if we're all on one level. Oh. Second, my legs go down. Then I have to, to regulate more. And now I've just put all these vessels below me. So now my heart has to work to get, all, to get the blood from my feet, which are below me. Up, right. Mm. So I'll go like this. Oh, that's better. You'll see a lot of them in terms of literally behavior um, is being dictated oh, by physiology. Fascinating. So yeah, I, lo- I love when we find out the stuff that you're like, oh, that person's behavior is completely dictated by their biology and their physiology yeah. I'm like going through my head about That's all the, all the people i know that that sit like that you yep. know i have some a couple nephews that do that actually yeah i mean the boys have it too right yeah some of them just do it some of them actually can be also an anxiety thing so it's it can be it's a that's like the the compression uh, yeah, yeah. yeah right yeah. right those thunder vests for dogs or whatever right yeah. so it's also that too for kids they like to be here but it can be a blood pressure thing So, but in terms of cardiovascular, I haven't found the only thing you might find. I haven't tested this with many of my clients because I usually don't like, you know, I'm not doing cardio stuff with them. Mm -hmm. It's only on myself. When you have the dysautonomia, which is what actually a lot of these long haul COVID, I'm actually horrible that all these long haul COVID people have long haul COVID, but (laughs) most of them, their viral, uh, viral load can give you dys- dysautonomia, which is basically dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system, which is what we have to deal with all the time. Um, hopefully there'll be a lot more research because it's affecting all these people who have long haul COVID. But the dysautonomia you might have, so I can have my resting sleeping be like 41, like beats per minute, right? Okay. But I can go running and my high heart rate will be, it can be 190, 196. Whoa. Right? So... That's like a classic example of dysautonomic, right? You'd think, oh, my heart rate would get up very high, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm fit, and so I should have a good stroke volume of, in my heart, right? So I shouldn't have to beat so much because that's what happened. The, the left ventricle, uh, yeah. ventricular hypertrophy allows so that you just only have so many beats when I'm exercising, but not the case in someone with like a dysautonomia. Because we, it's just not regulated. And is that you sprinting or just like a? No, that, yeah, that's that's fast. Like okay, going, okay, even, yeah, okay. I mean, go. I mean, it's not a full, but like if I, I haven't gone full bore in a long time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
when I did a VO2 in my 20s or something, my max heart rate was 212. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So 220 minus your heart, minus your age, not really so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks, Garvin, but not so much. <laughs> as far as backloaded squats would probably be something you would recommend or not recommend for hypermobile people? No, in general, I mean, back squats for if people don't like front squats are so much safer. Yeah. And they're just, I don't have to do any of the thing. I don't have to, I don't have to cue. I don't want to cue. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I probably do a lot of more cueing than I need to, but right. You put that load here. It keeps them from dumping forward. It keeps them from doing stupid stuff. So I usually almost always load. But again, I have to load different people, right? They have all sorts of different things going on. So I might have to put a bunch of towels on. Sometimes I can't even load them with a bar. I have to load them. You know, I can put the the, uh, the belt Hard, yes. in the middle and have the chain and have a kettlebell on there. Um, that's right, the easiest. And it makes them not have to organize this portion of them themselves. But most people, yeah, I'm trying, none of my hypermobiles right now. I have pretty asymptomatic hypermobiles, so I'm. I just got one. She's finally 25 pounds on a little bar and starting her doing squats. She's never done squats before, so but just introduced that. Uh, she's she's doing amazing, but it's it's real slow to get to get them to that. Some of them I I never go to the bar, and it's just with you know with a kettlebell, maybe just going to a, to a bench, but they're still getting strength. So, are there any specific programs? There are courses that, that coaches could could look at, or there's just nothing out there. There is absolutely nothing. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, do you know Katie St. Clair? She, she's an amazing. I've, I've heard of her. Yeah. 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 yeah I've heard, okay. of, heard of her. She's yeah. a great, amazing strength coach. Um, I don't even know how she does half the things. Like, if I did a tenth of what she does, I would be like <laughs> flat out on the ground. <laughs> She does a lot of amazing stuff. She does a mentorship empowered performance, uh, I think for mostly women. I think now she added in men. So I almost wanted to kind of talk to her about like, because her good friend, Jill Zimmerman, who's a PT actually ha- is hypermobile, pretty high functioning. I wanted to sort of play with them, like of maybe setting something up that shows because it's really low. I mean, for, for symptomatic folks, it's again, it's let's try to find a program that's twice a week. And maybe that third session would be something very, very light, maybe PRI stuff or just like maybe some isometrics, but I find very, very low volume. And again, really depends on the symptom. You know, if you have somebody who's not symptomatic, just they, they can, they, you just have to see what they can handle. Depends on if someone has a ton of fatigue or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it. They're, they're all very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all have a lot of these similar symptoms, but every single person, I have to, like, I don't have some boilerplate thing. I don't have, like, yeah. a spreadsheet because they're all so different. Like, I would just be doing the same, like, a different thing every time. I just do, like, a Word doc that's you know, describes exercises because they're all so different. Every exercise will have slightly different cue, a slightly different thing here. It's also why I don't work with a lot of people because a lot of them, it's a lot of energy that goes into them. <laughs> so uh, hopefully we start to see more awareness and that's the reason why I wanted to have you on is because we know there are a lot of people that have these issues uh, and have to live with, learn how to manage hypermobility. I just, I think it's underrated how many people are affected. 
but we'll see yeah. in the coming yeah. years. And then a lot of your people, like a lot, when I, if, when I do, you know, if I'm actually in person and can see the people, <laughs> you sort of see eyes just kind of bug out when you start saying the symptoms. They're like, oh, shit. Like they just realize, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I'm on anti-anxiety meds. God, I'm so fatigued all the time. I don't sleep very well. Yeah, I do kind of have some stomach issues. Oh, gosh, I don't like, you know, and then they have pain or they've had a ton of surgeries and they put all, they put it all together and they're like, Oh my gosh. Like, so all of these other symptoms, they start to realize and then, and the, but then they can, if they get educated, then they can sort of, it's not easy because they have to, okay, no. let's look at, them, let's look at the nutrition. Okay. Let's look at this. And you really have to bolster, bolster, bolster the system all the time, but really attacking that nervous system uh, initially, is it hypermobile yogis or something? She, uh, Celeste Ferreria or something like that. She, she had a post the other day. She's like, yep, okay, I got my blue light glasses. I got to, you know, for the sleep, right? She had her, her mouth guard on and this on and that <laughs> on all to like make it so that her sleep, right? I have black things on every light in my bedroom. <laughs> black out everything because you, you got to manage the sleep. Yeah, and a lot of the people don't know that their sleep is so bad, right? So that's why like getting, I tell people, you know, if they want to, I mean, they're not totally cheap, but right, the aura rings. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, back and it's they've, they've actually i think have been shown to be almost as accurate as you know as a sleep study it even does respiratory rate i still i saw an article of how they did it i'm like huh is that accurate though <laughs> yeah sometimes i kind of question that i'm do like you it? do you do you have the aura ring no no so it's, well, it's like you said when you read it you kind of like i do that quite often i'm like hmm, i don't really know yeah, so. my watch does all that stuff. I don't, I'm not 100 sure if it's accurate though. Yeah, the watches with the, especially the green light, right? Is, yeah, and then it has to be like I have the Garmin too. It is hugely inaccurate for my oh, heart. Oh, really? For my exercise and heart rate. For at okay. rest, it's okay, but hugely inaccurate. It would say like 140, and I would be like at 170. Like, oh, oh yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll always use the chest strap for the heart rate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wear a chest strap. So just in that, I'm like, okay, it's obviously. And then anyone of color, the green yeah. light doesn't work. Like, oh yeah, you know, it's, skin it's, it's shitty accuracy too. <laughs> like, oh gee, sorry, you're not as white as a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to keep my arms out of the sun then. <laughs> <laughs> I need that accuracy. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> So have you found that your Garmin is, is that fairly accurate for your sleep compared to the aura ring? I'm curious because that's what I have. Like, I was like, this isn't going to do shit. Like, okay. (laughs) I I stopped and then I can't, I can't sleep with a big old thing on my, my Garmin is huge. Like, 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 (laughs) so the thing can barely even go. It's just, yeah, it bugged me at night. That's why I got this because I was like, okay, I can handle just this ring. That's that's fine. So if people wanted to get a hold of you or or follow you on social media, how how do they go about doing that? I'm on Instagram. I don't post as much. It's just like I found it to be, you know, bang for your buck in terms of like I'm not getting. I used it as an information platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But put a bunch of stuff on there so they can go to that. No, there's a ton of posts with a ton of information. When I say in my head, like, okay, no, people should really have this information. Like, you know, I'll maybe post it. But there's so many people like that Jill Zimmerman, 
does mm-hmm. great. She's super active on, on IG. Um, those hypermobile yogis, they have a very manicured <laughs> um, IG account. Like I let those people, I'm like, you have the time and money have at it in your little <laughs> studio and all that. Like I just don't have the mental capacity to do it. So I have content on there that says some stuff, um, but I'm definitely not very active on it. I have some articles written on my, on my website. I do have online courses as well on hypermobility and yoga, just basic hypermobility courses that they can get on my website, which is just fitwisesf.com. So fitwise, F-I-T-W-I-Z-E-S-F, as in San Francisco, uh, .com. So website, IG, but again, I've been trying to get back motivated, right? (laughs) To do some more content, but I did get kind of a flurry of new clients. And so that sort of, I'm going to, these people I'm going to put my attention to. Yes. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Social media is a full-time job. It is. And I just, (laughs) oh my gosh. I would spend like 45 minutes. I'm like, it's just a picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oh. true though. You're like, I've been standing I'm here like, for an hour. It like yeah. <laughs> it's like, nope, don't want to work right now. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Happening. Yeah. It's sort of, and also just the sort of the, the moral sort of ethical of, of IG and social media right now. <laughs> Sort of, yeah, <laughs> it's a battlefield out oh, there. It's abysmal, so it's sort of a moral. <laughs> <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you for spending your time with us. We appreciate you coming on. Some great information. Definitely, we're like I said, we're we're trying to get more awareness out there, especially to oh, newer you. coaches, newer trainers, and if and if you have clients that are hypermobile and you and you really don't know how to to train, please reach out to someone that has expertise, who has a lot of experience dealing with that demographic. So they, they can reach out and consult and be like, I just have a question. What should I do with this? Like, I'm yeah. not like, I, I love doing that. Just talking to people and yammering on about it. Um, and talking like this. Well, um, thank you very much, Catherine. We appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, to all the listeners out there until next episode, be good to each other for listening to our podcast be sure to hit that subscribe button and whatever platform you're on either apple itunes or spotify please if you could leave a review we'd appreciate that if you have any questions that we can answer for you be sure to leave those in the comments also if you're looking for more information on our education our products please go to www.stickmobility.com and also hit that subscribe button to that youtube channel and don't forget our live instagram classes three times a week if you want to join in grab your sticks and hit that 45 minute class